0: oldest son Nathan has three daughters and when I think about you guys I I just laugh at you (laughs) and praise God it's not me Uh, I had one daughter and I was outnumbered so uh, and still am but thank you uh, for sharing and and giving Green Tree more credit probably than than we deserve but uh, that's what I love about this spiritual family is that we really take family seriously and we get it wrong a lot of times and we mess up and we disappoint one another and we step on each other's toes from time to time. But in all of that, God, uh, His grace is here. And uh, it's just really cool. Ever since, uh, and I've been at Green Tree since um, almost day one, early, very early on, there's always been a spirit of adoption here. You know, I, I think of the, the Sturgeons uh, in adopting, you know, was one of our first families, but there always seems to be one or two or three families that are involved in that. And so we should pray, praise God for that and thank Him for that and also uh, nurture it and, and try and grow it some more. So, uh, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you were uh, here the last Sunday, you know that we are embarking uh, on our next section in our discipleship series on a intensive study on Sermon on the Mount. And last week uh, we just did some introductory work and kind of set up the... Uh, the paradigm that Jesus uses in his teaching and preaching. Uh, If you didn't happen to be here last week, you can can catch that sermon on our podcast. And I would encourage you to do it, not because I preached it, but because I think it will help you uh, get up to speed and understand kind of how the sermon is put together. So as we go along, you'll be able to to follow uh, as easily as possible. Uh, But this morning, we're going to get into the section uh, that is famously known as the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, uh, mean blessing, or Beatitudes uh, technically means uh, the one who should be congratulated. So uh, the title of the sermon is The Oscar Goes To, because you think about this time of year when, you know, the Oscars are right around the corner. There's there's all kinds of different award ceremonies. You know, the Lombardi Trophy is going to be won in a couple of Sundays by somebody. There, there are these uh, prizes or awards or championships that uh, acknowledge achievement. They acknowledge, you know, somebody Finishing on top, you know, the uh, the Heisman Trophy for the best football player, the elusive Stanley Cup that, if you watch the Blues game last night, see, still seems to be a long way from St. Louis, uh, but... Be that as it may, we, we've all been around some type of uh, award ceremony where someone's congratulated for a job well done. I actually received a lot of congratulations a couple weeks ago. I was out looking for uh, a little gift for Cindy. Now, when I say little, I mean like you know, 20 or 30 bucks. I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of money, but I was kind of wandering through this store, and the saleswoman says, "Can I help you?" And I said, "Yeah, Cindy, my wife mentioned that she likes such and such a thing." And you know, could you help me find that? And she goes, oh, was it something you forgot to get for Christmas because it's January? I said, no, I, I just, you know, I, I didn't forget, but I'm looking for it now. And I don't know why. Maybe I have some kind of expression on my face that says to salespeople, ask him any question you want to. Uh, because I was then interrogated as to why I was purchasing this gift for my wife, you know. Is it your anniversary? No, our anniversary is in November. Is it her birthday? No, our birthday's in May. Well, why are you getting her this gift, you know? Because she's stuck with me for 32 years, and she loves me more than any other person, and I don't think I deserve that. And so I just like to find ways to tell her thank you as often as I possibly can. And the whole tone of the conversation changed. Oh, that's so special. That is, Sally, come, Phyllis, come here. Look, this guy, he's buying his wife a gift, and you know why? For no reason other than he loves her. Sally's like, oh, uh, phyllis is like would you call my husband it's like oh and there, i know there are women in the congregation right now like this and i'm sorry guys I, i'm not trying to put you in a bad way but i'm getting all you know kind of high five congratulations for doing a goofy little thing when is it that god smiles upon his children and says congratulations way to go you got it right We're not talking about earning our salvation. I'm not talking about being good enough for God to love us. I'm talking about in our journey as disciples, as God the Father looks down on his children. What is it that makes him smile? It says, way to go. Good job. You got it right. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of God. Seeing the crowds, he went up, talking about Jesus, he went up on the mountainside, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is a reading of God's holy and perfect word, to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning given to us in, in Steve's story. We thank you for the application of the gospel, for the impact of the gospel in his life, in Kama's life, in the lives of, of their children, now four of them, even the, the two that they haven't yet met. Father, we thank you that, that our salvation is all about adoption. It's about you reconciling the world to yourself and then bringing us into your family and calling us sons and daughters through the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Father, this weekend when we celebrate the work of Dr. Martin Luther King and we think about his, his speech of a dream, and that is really he was, he was, he was speaking of the purity of relationships and, and what they could be if we would simply look at one another as equal. And Father, you have looked down upon this world and and you have seen the brokenness of our lives. You've seen the the brokenness of our hearts and, and and it's evident in our words and our actions and our deeds. And you not only had a dream, but you had the power to make it happen. And that was a plan of salvation. It was a plan of grace and it was a plan of mercy. And then you call your children to walk in that grace and mercy. And Father, we confess to you this morning that, that as often as, as we do, we don't. We get it wrong. We stumble. We fall. We get selfish. We get angry. We get bitter. We get all kinds of things, and we let that stand in the way of your grace. So Father, we confess to you that we have not lived out these beatitudes that we're going to study this morning perfectly. But Lord, our heart's desire for those of us who are here this morning who have been impacted by your grace, our desire is that we would look more like Jesus, that there would be more moments in our lives where we get it than when we don't. So Lord, that is going to take your work. It's going to take your word, not mine. It's going to take your spirit. It's going to take your power. Man cannot persuade, only God can change hearts. We pray for your transforming Power this morning in each one of our lives. Father, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn and apply this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, before I jump into this, this passage this morning, I want to go down just a couple of quick side roads uh, and mention just two things briefly as kind of overall statements for uh, the Beatitudes for this first section. Of Matthew chapter five, and they're there on the screen for you. The first one, as you can see, is that the idea of those who are being blessed, those who are being congratulated by God. You should not confuse that with uh, with a prosperity doctrine that says if you're a good Christian, then you get all the stuff that you want, that you, that you're blessed, so to speak, financially. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about blessings as the world gives them. God is. Jesus is talking about. The blessedness, the the, the congratulatory uh, nature of God upon His children—that happens in a lot of different ways. But He's speaking in a spiritual tone. But some have taken uh, this passage and have terribly abused it uh, and confused a lot of folks and hurt a lot of folks in their walk with the Lord. So, if you're one of those people that that has been told that, um, I'm I'm not sorry to be the one to tell you this morning uh, that that's not that's not what God is speaking to. God is speaking to his passion for his children and how that is delivered comes in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. The second thing I want us to note is that the Beatitudes are both attitudinal and behavioral. There are moments where they're speaking more towards attitude, which actually, uh, the first one this morning is is more attitudinal, uh, and the second one is actually a little more uh, attitudinal slash behavioral. They're both and, not either or. So as we go through the Beatitudes, it would be a mistake to say, well, I just need to change my way of thinking, but it doesn't matter how I live my life. And it would also be a mistake to say, well, this is just about behaving the right way. It doesn't matter how I think. One leads to the other. And so we need to incorporate both of those as we go through uh, the, the next few weeks and we study uh, these Beatitudes. We're going to look at the first two this morning. So this is basically a, a two-point sermon. One is going to cover verse 3, and the second point is going to cover verse 4. So verse 3, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, as he introduces the sermon, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The subtitle I've put to this is Jesus is congratulating those who have an appropriate spiritual perspective. An appropriate spiritual perspective. In other words, as I look at my own spirit, as I look at my spiritual being and my relationship with God... My reaction is not one of thinking that I have personal wealth there. In other words, that I have greatly pleased God, that I'm, that I'm this wonderful guy that everybody would be lucky to know and happy to have on their side. And there's a sense of arrogance. Rather, there's a sense of poverty. I look at my life and I see the need. I see the shortcoming. I understand that I'm separated from God by my sin and that I am, I am understanding, I'm assessing my need for God's mercy in my life. I'm coming to the realization that I cannot earn God's love through my human effort, but rather I am dependent upon him being gracious. I've put another verse up here as a a cross-reference for us. Uh, It's one of the last letters that the Apostle Paul ever wrote in his life. He's writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And if you put Paul's letters in chronological order, if you take uh, which the New Testament doesn't do. It, it takes the books. If you, I don't know if you know this or not little, except for Revelation. It basically goes from the largest books to the shortest books. Uh, but if you put the books in chronological order, First Timothy would be one of the last ones Paul wrote. So he's an old guy. He's been a Christian for a long time. And he says this. This is a saying that is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. If you actually went and lined up Paul's letters and read them in chronological orders, one of his earliest letters, you would see Paul saying, I am a sinner. In one of the middle letters, you would see Paul saying, I'm a pretty bad sinner. I'm paraphrasing. When you come to the latter stages of Paul's life, when he is a full-blown, mature apostle, disciple of Jesus, at, at, at at the depth of his faith, he comes to the conclusion that he's the worst guy. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. It means to truly understand your attitude. And the reason I gave this verse as a cross-section, a cross-reference, is because we need to understand that this is an ongoing attitude of discipleship. This is not something you outgrow. You don't say, well, I was poor in spirit, and then I I, I came to meet Jesus, and, and now I feel really, really good about myself, and I'm no longer poor in spirit. Now, now you should feel good about yourself in Christ, <laughs> but apart from Christ, and that's the journey in which we, we find ourselves uh, as disciples of Jesus. Sometimes we're obeying and following and trusting and walking in his grace, and at other moments, we're resisting his work in our lives, and we're, we're being rebellious, stubborn little children, and we're kind of doing it our way. We have that tension in our lives, so we never lose the application of this truth. Every one of us, every day of our lives, until we see Jesus need to understand that we are poor in spirit because understanding leads to what? It leads to humility instead of arrogance. Understanding that I am poor in spirit leads me to thankfulness for God's grace and mercy in my life instead of an ungrateful spirit. Understanding leads me to self-reflection instead of being judgmental. And so as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus, every day I should remind myself, blessed are the poor in spirit time. You get it right when you understand your need for a Savior. And then ultimately the blessing, ultimately the manifestation of the congratulations is what? Entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus provides not only salvation for us in this life, but for all of eternity to come. And so when God congratulates me, there, there will be a day I am saved now by God's grace. I am in the kingdom of God, but I, I haven't experienced it fully yet. I mean, y'all are nice. I really enjoy doing life with you, but you're far from perfect too. <laughs> and we do step on each other's toes, and we, and we do get under each other's skin from time to time, and we, and we get it wrong, but there's going to come a day where the kingdom is perfect. And Jesus says that's the manifestation of God's congratulations, and it comes to you by grace not by your effort. And so I've, I've cross-referenced here a passage that will come to probably not till early in the fall. But this is later on in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7. And Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What is the will of the Father? Well, we see it right here in chapter 3, as opposed to the attitude of chapter 7. The attitude of chapter 7, this particular passage is, Jesus, you owe me heaven. I've cast out demons in your name. I've done mighty works in your name. I've earned it. And Jesus says, you're lawless. You're children of rebellion because you've rejected what? Working harder? No, the grace and the mercy of God. The will of God for every disciple in this room, including myself, is that we are poor in spirit, that we understand his, our need for salvation. But if you grasp that, that promise of the kingdom And if you understand that your need for a Savior and you're relying on God's grace, then this promise for you this morning, this kingdom of heaven promise for you gives us great assurance and perseverance because we now have a context for our lives. We can now patiently follow Jesus day in and day out because we know that the kingdom belongs to us through God's grace. I mentioned, uh, mentioned shopping for Cindy a little bit earlier. I want to talk about shopping with Cindy for just a moment. Some of you have had, very few of you, and though many of you that have have never repeated the experience, have shopped with, with my wife Cindy before. So before Christmas, Cindy says, I think I want a pair of boots for Christmas. I said, okay. And she said, now, what I really want in the present is for you to go boot shopping with me. I said, Okay, it's December and it's cold. There's no golf on Sunday afternoons. I'll be more than happy to uh, to go shopping with you. Do you know how many stores sell boots in the West County Mall? I do. Do you know? Because <laughs> I've been to every one of them. Because you see, when I go to shop, I go and I find something and I and I get it and I get out as fast as I can. It's like if, if I stay there too long, I'm going to have to take a shower. I mean, I just can't stand being in the mall. Okay, and I don't care what I pay. Right? I just want to get. It's worth it for me to pay and get out. Cindy will go in and look at a pair of boots. She goes now. Those are probably number three on my list, but they're going to be at least 25% off of this in two weeks, so I'm going to make a note of that and and move on to number 11 store out of the 12 in West County Mall that sell boots. And then there's a Galleria that has six stores, Frontenac has four, and then the outlets, I lost count, and I've been to every one of them, and we couldn't come up with a pair of boots she didn't buy a pair of boots. You know why? Because the price wasn't right. They were, they were too expensive and she was going to patiently endure until she found the right price. Please pray for me. <laughs> I can say she's in Kansas City this weekend. I hope she's looking for boots. I hope she finds them. Um, but when I shop with Cindy, I, I have to have a promise of a treat at the end. Okay, I'm like the little kid. We tell our kids we go in the grocery store, if you don't fight when you're little, you get one of those little gumballs at the end of the day. I have to have a treat. It's got to be like when we're done shopping, we'll go to dinner. When we're done shopping, I know you've wanted to see that movie, and we'll go see that, that movie. I, I've got to have some promise that it's going to come to an end, and there's something good for me waiting at the end of the deal because it, it's a bit of a journey. And I, and I equate that to our journey with Christ, and sometimes you go, wow, it's a long journey. There's, there's a lot of places to stumble. I'm being silly about, about shopping with my wife. The reality of our lives is, is there's some very dark places and moments of following Jesus. And it's crucial for us to not lose sight of the poorness of our spirit, lest we become resentful or bitter, but also not lose sight of what's coming. The perfection of the kingdom is ours in Christ if we come to him by faith. Blessed are the poor in spirit Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The first one I title an appropriate spiritual perspective. The second one I'm entitling a right response or a correct response to sin. What should my emotional reaction be to the sin in my life? When I, when I get angry with someone, i lose my temper. When I have lust in my heart, when I'm greedy and, and, and don't want to be generous like my Heavenly Father. When I, when I get it wrong, what should be my emotional reaction? Not to your sin, but to my sin. Jesus says that the reaction to my sin should be deep sorrow. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not talking about just mourning over things that don't go right in the world not talking about mourning like you look at, at, you know, there's a civil war going on and people are being killed. Yes, we should mourn over that. Don't get me wrong. The believer's heart should always be a heart of compassion. But Jesus is making this personal to each disciple. He says, we need to mourn over our sin. There should be a deep sorrow because our sin does two things. It alienates us from our Father and it alienates us from one another. And actually does a third thing. It causes great harm between our relationships together. When I sin against you, I bring harm to you and vice versa. And Jesus says, when you see your sin, it should break your heart. So I did a little Tom Ricks diagnostic this week. I tried to do a study and review on how I reacted to my sin. Not like how I behaved on how people saw on the outside, but I began to try to look on the inside, to look at my heart. And I came up with four reactions to my sin, none of which were sorrow. None of which was, was, was brokenheartedness. The first one is defensive. Uh, a sin is pointed out to me by someone who has the right to point the sin out to me. Either I've done something directly to them or they observed me hurting someone else. And what's my response? My response is, oh, you defensive. You know, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't understand. Like, you don't understand. And I begin to try to prove why I didn't sin and, and why I'm actually right and they're wrong. My second reaction was, I just try to ignore it. <laughs> Try to pretend it didn't happen. You ever do that? You hurt somebody and you say, you know what, I I bet if I don't see them for a week, they'll just kind of forget it. And you just ignore the darkness in your own heart. My third response was was to marginalize. And And what I mean by that is I would say, well, you know, that wasn't too good. You're right. You know, that sounds kind of spiritual, right? But it wasn't as bad as this. And then I'll give an example of one of your sins that's a lot worse than than one of my sins. And I appreciate you all sinning from time to time and letting me know about it. It really helps me quite a bit because I can say, at least compared to that, I'm not that bad. My fourth response was simply to deflect. You know, I appreciate you pointing that out to me. I'm so glad you did that. I want to mention something I saw in your life last week, (laughs) right? Bring it right back. Bring it right back. Turn it on you. None of those have anything to do with sorrow. And none of those have anything to do with an appropriate response. So when God looks at those reactions in my life, and maybe those are some of the reactions in your life, I don't know, you would have to kind of do your own personal diagnostic. There's no congratulations in order because we are actually hampering the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're actually, we're actually pushing back on the Word of God. When I refuse to grieve over my sin... I have no comfort in my life. I have only agitation because God won't let me stay in that. He isn't going to bless that decision. But I should sorrow and I need to sorrow and I have from time to time. I don't want to think, say I've never done this, but I would like for this to be more the reaction of my life because if I'm sorrowing, it means that I understand that, that, I'm, that I'm breaking my relationship with my father. I'm displeasing him because my sin will ultimately result in hurting someone else and hurting one of his other children or hurting my witness to the world where I'm supposed to speak of the grace of God and not speak in tones of defensiveness or, or marginalizing or, or deflecting my sin. And it's like a parent who, who has, sees their children and sees one child abusing the other. He doesn't love them any less, but it makes him or it makes mom very sorrowful. Why? Because they love both children. And they understand that if they, would, if they would learn to love one another, if they would learn to grieve over their sin against one another and actually build their relationship, that something interesting would happen. They would receive comfort. They would, they would receive compassion. They would receive grace. So as I, as I learn to sorrow over my sin, as I learn to grieve over it, a follow-up question that I have to ask is how do I avoid either on the one hand, despair, where I just get so consumed with my sin, I can't, I can't see the way out. Or how do I avoid kind of the ignoring, deflecting uh, reaction to my sin? And I think it's when I focus on the promise of the blessing. God says, if I will mourn, he will comfort me. And I want to show you a couple of cross-references here. One is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul, in his introductory comments, tells us where we can find comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. And and all of our affliction includes the sinfulness in our own lives. It also includes you know, a, a, a bad report from the doctor or a, or a struggle in a relationship uh, or, or a financial issue. It, those are afflictions too, but also our sin. He comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This, this, this kind of doubles the promise, kind of builds on it. Not only are we comforted by God, by his spirit and by his word when we sorrow and grieve over our sin and repent. But then God says, you know what, come along with me and comfort others. Take this message and share it with others. One other cross-reference I want to give you, it's more of the personal application out of 1 John. John's talking about loving each other. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our heart before him. So John says, when we look at our lives and see this love, we're reassured that the gospel is taking root in our lives. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Sometimes my worst enemy is me. Because I let sorrow go in an unhealthy direction. I let sorrow go to a place of condemnation. And Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who feel condemnation, for they shall be comforted. Jesus says, blessed are those who have a right perspective on their sin. There is a grief that should accompany my sin. I should look at that and be brokenhearted over it. But I don't live there, and I don't live in my own self-condemnation. Rather, I take solace in the truth that God has set me free through Jesus Christ. That forgiveness and grace is mine, and I can trust in him. And I can rest in him. So, how do we apply these Beatitudes this morning? Where do you go with, with the appropriate spiritual perspective of, of verse 3 and the right response of, of mourning in verse 4? I want to give you three applications this morning. Uh, the first one is this. It may sound silly, but I think you ought to memorize the Beatitudes. Now, the first two are really easy, uh, they're, they're very brief. And that, in fact, the first several are very brief, but these two are really easy. Blessed are those. Who, uh, who uh, are poor in spirit for theirs is? You, a little more enthusiasm. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs? We're going to have to do it a third time because that really wasn't all that great. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit for? Theirs. There you go. Blessed are those who mourn for they? There you go. You got it. You're all done. You've, your memory work for the week is complete. I guarantee you'll probably remember that all week long. Memorizing God's Word so that when you you get to a moment where you need to apply it, you have it. Um, Before Katie got married, I signed us up for dance lessons. And let me just put it this way. I'd rather shop than do dance lessons, okay? Um, and we had this little dance teacher that, you know, this little, like, child who was 20 years old who flitted around the room and told us how easy it would be and how simple it would be and, and how, what wonderful dancers we would be. And that, that's kind of like a torture thing. And, I, and I, if I could have caught her, I would have choked her. I couldn't catch her, though. Um, but, but the whole thing for me about dance lessons was memorization, was remembering where the steps go. And we were learning like three basic dances. And Cindy actually has a little bit of rhythm. I don't have any at all. But they have this, they have this giant mirror in this dance place, which is another reason why you don't want to go there, um, at least in standing sideways and looking at yourself. But it was pretty cool to be able to kind of watch me do it, not because I did it all that well, but because it just was repetition. It just reminded me how to do these steps. And the Beatitudes, God promises his spirit and his word will equip us to follow him. But as we said last week, uh, practice is one of the things that we need to be doing. We don't need more data. We need more practice. And so memorizing that word so it actually becomes a reflective uh, tool in our lives so that when I'm, when I'm tempted to be arrogant, I go, wait a minute, blessed are the poor in spirit. Tom, you have no reason to be arrogant. When I'm, when I'm looking at my sin and I'm like wanting to ignore, I'm tempted to kind of set it off to the side and say, no, I don't need to ignore that. Jesus dealt with that at the cross. I can grieve properly over it and allow God to bring healing to my life. The second application, I would say, is to ask God to reveal your heart to you. We're so good, we're experts at kind of squishing it all down and just kind of not taking the time to do self-reflection because sometimes it's too painful. But in the context of the gospel, there is pain, but there's also promise. There's kingdom. There's comfort if we will ask God to show us our own hearts. And then second, thirdly, I would just say, get in the habit of talking to fellow disciples about your faith journey. When's the last time you said to a good friend or a spouse or somebody who knows you really well, how do you think I'm doing with Jesus? That's a great question to ask. In this context, you might wanna say, you know what, I have a hard time with, with humility. Would you pray for me? And when you see me being arrogant, just gently point it out to me. And if gentle doesn't work, just smack me upside the head and tell me about it. You know what? I kind of like to ignore my sin. Would you help me not do that? We're together, brothers and sisters. We call Green Tree a spiritual family, and family looks out for each other. But we need to be at the place where we are asking one another to speak into our lives. I had a friend this week who, uh, who, who uh, said to me, I heard what you said, but I think what you meant was actually X. And there were two things about what he said. The first was, was that X wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but it really wasn't good. And the second thing about X was he was exactly right. And so my initial reaction was kind of get my back up a little bit and go to one of those other places. But then I remembered this verse, the, in Proverbs 27, the wounds of a friend are faithful. He loved me enough to tell me the truth. He, never, he loved me enough to say, you know, I think you might want to go back and revisit that decision. I need more people like that in my life. who are not judging me. They're, they're not out to get me. They're actually out to love me. And I think that has to be an application for all of us contextually at Green Tree Community Church that we would be the kind of place where disciples shared truthfully and listened to one another and cared for one another so that we can be poor in spirit, so that we can properly mourn over our sin. Ultimately, that we must ask ourselves what kind of spiritual family do we want to be? What kind of spiritual family do we want the Roth's children? and the rest of our children to grow up do we want them to live in a spiritual family where they see people who properly are humble and who appropriately grieve over their sin or do we do we want to teach them defensiveness and arrogance and how to deflect someday perhaps we'll have a building and people will come into that building for a worship service what will they experience will they experience people of grace and humility and kindness where all are welcome? Where people who grieve over their own sin and thereby care deeply for others, will they find a place of grace and compassion where we care for one another? If they do, then God says, congratulations are in order. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the teaching of your son, our Lord Jesus He took time to explain to his disciples how to apply this gospel that he was giving them. So, Lord, I simply pray this morning for myself, for Green Tree Community Church, that we would experience the blessing of being poor in spirit, that we would experience the kingdom, and that you would allow us to appropriately mourn over our sin and then apply your comfort to our lives for your glory, for our good. And for the witness of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to sing a new song.